0: This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's patreo ncom com slash trekfm.
1: Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM.
2: How we doing, Trev? Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway.
3: Let's go.
1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated enterprise podcast. I'm your host tonight, Will Wynn. Norman Lau, my other co-host, is actually on a Section 31 mission tonight, so I'm taking center chair responsibilities tonight, but no worries, I'm actually joined by a wonderful crew tonight. And tonight's theme is actually all about new arrivals, because for tonight's episode about Season 3 New Arrival, Major Hayes, we have... Our associate producers for Warp 5, on the fir- they're on for the first time on air, Floyd Dorsey and Mike Morrison. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I'm really excited because you guys have been really great supporters of both this show and also of the network, but this is the first time both of you have been on air for Warp 5, and I think we're going to have a really great discussion tonight, so I'm really looking forward to that. And, of course, Jeff Harlan, Mr. Um ataz himself, founder of trekopedia is also with us tonight. Hi Jeff, how you doing?
3: Hey, I'm doing good. I was just uh showing you earlier uh on the other side of the room. I was uh working on my uh site. I've been compiling a list of every Starfleet vessel ever named or appeared on the shows and the books and the comics, what games, what have you. And I'm uh up through the Is. I uh, just starting the Js and uh, it's a uh, pretty uh, pretty large undertaking but uh, it, it's looking pretty impressive so far. it's
1: almost like you're building an own your own class of ship in your own shipyards but this is your own comprehensive multimedia project right I think it's you had mentioned before the the unified theory of Trek right bringing everything together
3: yeah and uh, i the thing that I, I really enjoy about this page that I'm working on right now it's uh, this list is just completely sortable so you can sort everything by alphabetical you can sort it by class you can sort it by the date that the ship was commissioned you can sort it by the date that the ship ended its service or the the comment section where it says if it was destroyed or if it was decommissioned or what
1: that is going to be quite the database jeff i'm very excited and you can add a section on major hayes if you haven't had it if you haven't already included it which is the topic is it Uh, he's on the list he, he is on the um, list. So that's going to be the topic for tonight's show, part one. So we're going to talk about Major Hayes, and he was an important new addition to season three of the Zindi arc because he was the leader of the Mako squad that was assigned to the NXO1 as they embarked on their mission into the Delphic Expanse. And I think we're just going to jump right in and talk about the character who was played by Stephen Culp, who, if um, Eagle eyed fans are aware, played... Commander Martin Madden briefly in a deleted scene in Star Trek Nemesis, which unfortunately was not included, I think it was a great scene. But that's the other trek reference for, for Stephen Culp. But I'm gonna ask you guys a question right now is did the introduction of Hayes and the overall concept of the Makos make sense in universe when they were introduced in season three? Without a doubt.
2: You know, I think in order for further development of Star Starfleet is both a scientific and a defensive arm of the Federation. In order for that to make sense, I think you have to introduce the military. Uh, It was an ingenious idea, I think, uh, in terms of taking the first step toward integrating the military into Starfleet, uh, but also as a great little piece of story development to add that layer to the Zindi story, the Zindi arc that highlighted the real dire nature of these circumstances. I mean, who would send a group of explorers to ward off a hostile species, why not send the Makos
4: yeah um, i I think so, absolutely uh, for my head, cannon the Makos advanced training weaponry that just that was integrated into Starfleet security, um, maybe even like special operations, something you know you 've got uh, regular ship security and then you 've got special operations and um, also i even even thinking about it. Um, one of the best Star Trek games was elite force and that would be perfect for Makos. That would have been perfect for them. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it was, I think it was great. The one thing though, I would like to have seen or heard was, um, just a little bit more of a reason for them to be there, like to exist at all. Like what, what were they doing? Were they fighting off Orion's from earth, uh, holdings or colonies? Uh, why did they have such advanced training um, but I mean, I appreciate that they're there, you know, when, the, right, right from the very beginning, like on season three. So,
3: yeah, it made total sense to have them around for me as well. Um, like we've said, you know, it, they mentioned, you know, military, um, and military, uh, missions for Starfleet down the line. We saw what looked basically like Marines on Deep Space Nine a couple of times, and there was even a mention in the original series where uh, tomorrow was uh, in the episode Tomorrow's yesterday where Captain Kirk said that Starfleet was a combined service, which says to me that perhaps the Makos were integrated into Starfleet at some point down the line, and then that it would also further uh, go into the Deep Space Nine Marines that we saw. Um, and that also ties into all the other uh, stuff like the uh, the FASA games that had Starfleet Marines in them as well.
1: Yeah, I can only really agree with you guys. That makes a lot of sense, too, in terms of introducing an introductory element to what Earth is doing. And I agree with you, Floyd. Uh, on the one hand, it makes a lot of sense what we've seen before. I was also a big fan of Elite Force. The Hazard team makes a lot of sense that that would, be the, um, that would carry on the tradition of the Makos. And you bring up a good point too, Jeff. In terms of seeing Starfleet ground forces in DS9 at the siege of AR five five eight um, on Agalon Prime, seeing though we we see those elements, and in Final Frontier, right when they landed on uh, on Nimbus, right, you see them in khaki uniforms wearing the blue undershirt, clearly another division of of ground forces, not normally.
3: And then there's and there's Colonel, Colonel West, West uh, <laughs>
1: aka Odo, in the twenty third century. <laughs> Um, But you're exactly right, uh, having a clearly non-naval rank. Um, But I think, Floyd, you also bring up a really good point, too, in terms of the development of the Makos, in the sense that I wanted to see more of a, a foundation for them. It would be really interesting if they originally had the concept for the Makos from season one, and that there was always this constant tension between Starfleet's exploratory imperatives and the Makos' military command, because... Um, in a very brief pass, in, in, in passing, Archer mentions to uh, Admiral Forrest about, have you talked to General Casey? So there's clearly uh, a flag officer equivalent to the Admiral, who's clearly a general in a different capacity outside of Starfleet. And it's only mentioned in passing, but it brings up a very interesting point in terms of what are their imperatives, right? Are they fighting the Orions? Are they keeping the peace on Earth, you know, after World War Three. What are they doing? And I think this is this is where the season three, you can see where they're making it up as they go along. And I think it really comes together in the back half of the season, but there's a lot going on in the initial season, uh, in the initial introduction to the season where they're introducing the Zindi, um, the Expanse, the Makos, all these concepts, right? And they're going with it. And you, the audience has to kind of follow along, follow a lot of exposition, and it pays off in the end. But like you like you said, Floyd, I think it would have been terrific if they had developed that tension all the way back in season one, and Starfleet is always pushing back the, the urge for the Makos to be more militaristic, more militaristic, more militaristic. It would have been, in my mind, would have made uh, a lot more of a na- uh, narrative coherence. But that actually brings us up to the next point, in terms of Major Hayes I think because he was in so few episodes, he's only in five episodes. And those five five episodes were The Zindi, The Shipment, Harbinger, Hatchery, and Countdown. Uh, Because he was only in those five episodes, we don't have a huge grasp on his character. But what we do see in terms of character is how his relationship is defined with Malcolm Reed. Because clearly – Their portfolios, their job descriptions, responsibilities overlap heavily. And I think we know in life, people that are very similar to each other often clash because they're so similar, right? It's almost like they can't exist in the same time and space. So clearly his clash with Malcolm Reed about um, security, about protocol, about um, who is in command, who answers to whom, I think plays a big role. So what what are your thoughts on... How Hayes was developed as a character vis-a-vis Malcolm Reed.
4: Um, I, I really, I I took to Hayes right away. I mean, the very first scene in the episode one for season three was a Zindi. The very first scene that we see Hayes, he's sitting at the table in the mess hall with the other Zindi. Uh, Hoshi walks up, they jump to attention, uh, as if I uh, don't, you know, maybe giving her, a, you know, respect as an officer, but also just traditional chivalry, and. Um, I, you know, I saw that also in Malcolm, you know, the, the traditional ways, you know, coming from a military background, things like that. Um, the, I, I could just tell like right away, you know, like Hayes, he was an operator. He, you know, like his line, you know, faster we find this indie, the faster we can get to work. And that didn't really, I mean, he had like one mission, like, let's do this so I can get back to what I, you know, protecting Mars or whatever, whatever the Makos were assigned to before they were assigned to the enterprise. And Malcolm, Malcolm, you know, he, I don't know. He, he kind of came across as insecure, you know? I mean, maybe they play, he may have played it a little too whiny, you know? I mean, he was head of security. Uh, me personally, If it had been me in that spot, here's these guys that they're gung ho ready to go for it. Okay, as long as I set who is the who's in charge, who's the chain of command, and I'm in charge, then sure, man, I'll send you. I'll take you know, I'll secure the ship and I'll put you guys on the ground. Um, But I did like the drama for the most part that it made. Uh, But it it just, I don't know that read. The, the way that Reed went didn't seem to kind of, I don't know, it didn't seem like it went with what had come before that.
2: Well, I, and we're talking about Major Hayes and not Reed, but back to Reed, and, and Floyd, you make a great point, you know, I think the portrayal was a little whiny, but it spoke to the idea that Malcolm was a little insecure uh, with the introduction of of the Makos on uh, on Enterprise. I, I do think, though, that they did a, a decent job developing their relationship over the course of these, you know, these five episodes, to the point that uh, in that last scene where Malcolm is uh, standing in sickbay, uh, looking looking down at Hayes's lifeless body, there was a sense of that uh, reality, that epiphany, that this guy and I were cut from the same cloth. I think he realized that uh, when he took that mission of bringing Hoshi home and gave his life to do it, I think that's the moment when Reed really realized what a decent, honorable guy this was and that they really had more in common than they, than they had as far as differences. And I think um, whether he meant to do it or not, I think there was a moment there where he lamented, that he didn't uh, he didn't get to know him and appreciate him more.
3: Yeah, I, uh, I I've always felt that the uh, conflict between Reed and Hayes seemed a little uh, forced to me. I mean, it just kind of came out of nowhere because I'm I'm just used to the idea that you know you got Marines that their job is anything that has to do off of the ship and the shipboard security would be concerned with the security of the ship itself and there didn't really seem to be any room for a conflict in my eyes, but um, uh, that also, again, goes back to Reed's insecurity, and I think it also ties into his backstory, where his family had wanted him to go into the military, and all of a sudden he's got military on his ship, and he kind of sees, you know, the road not taken, and maybe that's a deeper part of where the conflict came from him. Uh, It's more, um, you know this could have been me, but instead I'm in this position and I need to make sure that I let everyone know that I'm the one that's in charge here. And that led to a conflict that really shouldn't have happened in the first place because Hayes didn't seem to have a problem with Reed being in charge of the shipboard security at all.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with, with everything you guys said exactly. I think there are clear delineations here, right? Malcolm's in charge of tactical aboard the ship, but also the ship's weapons, so you know, how the ship fights against other ships. That's completely different than what Hayes and his team does in a marine capacity, right? There really should be no um overlapping or there really should be no issue, right? And as professionals, you would expect them to be able to work it out, which is why Archer chewed them out so much, right? Expecting both of them to to, to work it out, especially coming from individuals who we assumed would have, quote-unquote, the most discipline, right? Reed on his crew being the most disciplined and Hayes obviously being the most disciplined of the Makos. And the insecurity is a big piece of it, too. And, Jeff, that's a really good point about you know him coming from a family of uh, that had, that had a Royal Navy pedigree, right? Maybe there was insecurity in terms of maybe he chose the lesser service of Starfleet, something that wasn't as masculine per se, that wasn't as militaristic because it was about exploration. Perhaps there was a lot of that. At play, we just don't know. I think that was another thing that happened episode uh, with season three was that a lot of these elements were were introduced. And I think Stephen Culp did a really great job in terms of doing the best with what he was given. But I think this is, you know, is indicative of enterprise in terms of it really had the seeds of something that if they had either the time, the forethought or the, the opportunity to do, to do so, they could really develop these characters because they really were beginning to establish a bench uh, of of side characters, which could have been really great characters down the road. Let alone, you know, their distinction as quote unquote side characters, not main characters. You had Forrest, you had potentially Hayes, you had Saval, you had Sharan, T'Pau. These characters that could have developed into uh, so much more down the road. I think a comment that. Culp himself had said was that you know he himself thought the character development was very sketchy, but like you said, Floyd, you know he was a man of action. That's what Stephen Culp himself said. He's a you know identified very quickly that he's just a man of action, a man of few words, and then I can a man
4: um, a, definitely a man of few words. Oh my gosh! Right? <laughs> exactly.
1: Very. I mean, almost out of central casting for this is a very straight edge military person, right? And I think they're able. The fact that they're able to do what they're able to do. Um, with the character, you know, I think speaks volumes to how season three ended up turning out. So when we talk about major Hayes and, and you guys had mentioned before his sacrifice at the very end, and that was kind of the inflection point to which he um, had a reproachment with Reed. And I think had, um, I think people really resonated with his deaths uh, in a more surprising way than they thought they would have with a character that had relatively little screen time. Did you think that his sacrifice in Countdown when he rescued Hoshi, do you think that was necessary? Or do you think it was? Uh, here's It's a two-part question. So do you think his death was appropriately played? I think it was very sudden, the, the way he kind of sacrificed him, himself when he got shot in the beam. Was it played appropriately? They could, have, could they have played it, uh, I think, more dramatically? And then the part two is, do you think his death was necessary? That was the only way that his character could have been written.
3: Well, I think it worked as a red shirt death, um, and he was pretty much the head redshirt shirt of the uh, the Makos. Um and it worked in that sense. I mean, they were in a, a dangerous situation, and you know, the uh, he, he the dice just came up snake eyes for him, um, but uh, you know, at the at. At the same time, the uh, character could have gone another way. They could have ended it with him you know, finishing off the mission and transferring off the ship at uh, the end of the season. Or uh, um, you know, any number of things could have happened. Or they could have continued his storyline into season four, and he and Reed could have finally found a good working uh, relationship between the two of them. Um, there are plenty of ways they could have gone with it, and they chose to, to kill his character, um, which I... I thought made for an interesting story decision.
4: Yeah. I, I thought it was, uh, it's what I would think of a typical black ops death, you know, in, in operation. I mean, he, uh, it's, it wasn't grandeur. It wasn't huge drama. It just, it happened. He was last man off the battlefield. He let his people go first. He started with the package. He got Hoshi off. He, he let his two uh, Makos get off first. He was holding his ground right there. He was, I mean, uh, it kind of, it reminded me when I was watching this of uh, the movie, We Were Soldiers, that uh, it covered the, it was with Mel Gibson, co- covered the Battle of Ladrang. La and uh, Colonel Hal Moore, that was one of the things that he said, he always wanted to be the last man off the battlefield. And Hayes just played that perfectly, I thought. It would have been nice drama-wise, for him not to hit or to have went ahead and survive, you know, maybe even wounded terribly because I think there, there is a lot, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of drama to be seen from a leader, a military leader who survives those under, com- under their command. And then like when he saw that, like his, uh, was it Corporal Hawkins that didn't make it from the sphere? Mm-hmm. He, uh, I mean you could just read on his face again man a few words but you could read a million words on his face how devastated he was because someone under his command had didn't make it. And I think that I liked I liked the way it played. It you know it could it could always have gone different ways but I thought that it was uh I thought it was fitting especially considering you know the Mako's operation the way they the way they operated. Yeah, I echo that.
3: Yeah, unfortunately, that uh, I was just going to say. Unfortunately, that transporter operation was just a tenth of a second <laughs> too slow because the same thing happened to Archer yeah. and Broken Bow, and yeah, uh, right, he survived.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah, and I, I echo what both you guys said for for Red Shirt, and and he was Jeff, indeed, the head Red Shirt. It was it was necessary, I, honestly. Well, I'm surprised that more Makos didn't die. Um, I, I think probably there should have been more uh, Mako's die. To kill off uh, Hayes, I, I, I don't necessarily think it, it was well played. I think it could have been more dramatic. It could have been more of a self-sacrifice, but at the same time, uh, I appreciate the fact that he was the last man on the battlefield. He held his ground. So there's something to be said for that. He, he got the, Just like you said, Floyd, he got the package out of there first, so in that regard, I I've, I think it was played like a true military leader, um, in, in terms of drama, it it almost seemed um, I won't call it a senseless death, but uh, a, a little more empty in the fact that uh, it was a tr- it was more of a of a tr- almost a transporter accident. It seemed like not to not to take away from the fact that he was shot, but it almost felt like a transporter accident, and you know, to, to lose him in that way. I, I think there definitely could have been uh, a great story there. I think in writing, and I think we've all kind of said it without saying it, uh, writing this character, I mean, from the very beginning was a little sketchy. I mean, in the episode the Zindi, you know, th- th- they'd already established that they'd been in the expanse for six weeks, you know. So uh, prior to Hayes's first scene, we've already established that. And then we come to that scene in the mess hall where Hoshi sits down, the Makos all stand up, and now we're introducing ourselves for the first time after six weeks. You know, he said, we familiarized ourselves with the uh, with the bridge crew. Well, we've been in here six weeks, and <laughs> we're just now introducing ourselves to Hoshi. So I, I think that there was... And, and, Will, you've said before, and I, I heard on a previous uh, uh, Warp 5 talking about, you know, kind of flying by the seat of their pants in terms of writing this, but missed opportunities along the way to really develop not just Major Hayes, but, you know, this entire Mako team. And for that matter, after Hayes was taken out, the last thing that he said to, uh, to, to Malcolm was, you know, look to Cole. She knows the team. So there was another great character that we were introduced to, Amanda Cole, that we didn't really see developed. I would have liked to have seen at least bring her back into season four and see the Makos uh, even even further integrated into into Starfleet. I, I just I would have liked to have seen more development of the character. I just never felt like uh, we really got to know him that well.
3: Yeah, and you'd think that Hoshi would have been somebody that they would have all acquainted themselves with in the first couple of days because she's the one they get the mail from. Absolutely, yeah.
4: I've I've got to tell you, I, you know, I've heard that intro about the being there for six weeks, but when I see that scene in the mess hall, I see that as like the first like two days, three days. That's just kind of how it plays. Like it's kind of a rewind, a fast back, a fast backward. You know, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I. I honestly, I've heard it, but then when I see it, I don't actually put it there. I put it way farther back. You know, like when the first mi- they haven't even left Earth yet, and that's that scene's
1: taking place.
2: Head is a wonderful thing. Yes, yes, <laughs> it really is.
1: It's it it solves so many problems. Exactly, yes. opens so many doors. Actually, I'm really glad you brought that up, Mike, because I actually never realized that it's amazing. Like, I feel like I rewatch. I love rewatching episodes. It, I almost feel like it's comforting in a lot of ways. But I mm-hmm. never realized that you're exactly right. They had mentioned that they were there for so long, and yet that scene is played as if you know, if as if it was the first day. And I, I think Floyd's retcon headcanon makes a lot of sense. But <laughs> I think I think everyone pretty much you know said what I I feel as well is just they really were flying by the seat of their pants and they were really really lucky that season 3 ended the way that it did that it it actually landed more than you initially thought it was going to but you know it's crazy we've talked about season 3 in uh, in a previous episode but season 3 was also on the precipice too they didn't even know they're going to season 4 i mean mm-hmm. this was i i think that's the crazy thing is you know, During this season, they themselves are really pushed against the wall themselves. They didn't even know they're going to get an additional season. And this was even before its nominal last season. They're already under the same gun. And I think Hayes and the development of Hayes, or rather the underdevelopment of Hayes and the concept of the Makos um, is proof to that. So...
4: Well, hey, looking at season three, I mean, think about the time that the United States was in when they made that, uh, you know, like I said, Hayes, he just came off as an operator right there. Mm-hmm. And I can't help, like when I did this, I, well, first of all, I can't believe that Stephen Culp only was only in five episodes. Right. Because it seemed like he, he was always there, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. And the Makos were like, if you watch, there's, there's an unnamed Mako all the time coming around the corner, you know, and helping Archer and doing this. And, but it just, it, it, for the time that we were in, you know, going out of universe into the real world here, that was, that was a representation of, of, you know, what was going on with the United States and United States military. And, um, the other night when I was watching it, like right away, it just it just said to me zero dark 30. It just seems it just seemed like, wow, I had not put that together. You know, I just really hadn't put that together that closely yet until I was watching the, these five episodes again.
1: Yeah, I think that's also a good point, too, is in, in terms of the tonal shift, obviously, in season three coming off nine eleven, leading into the Iraq War, that entire period of time is reflected in Enterprise. It's reflected Uh, in terms of the tone of the other shows that were on the air at the time, 24, Battlestar Galactica, those types of shows were setting the tone. And for better and for worse, I think there are some fans, and I can see their point in terms of it being too dark, but at the same time, Star Trek has also been always reflective of the time period that it's in. So when people say, oh, it's a 9-11 allegory, are you to say that Star Trek is not supposed to address this completely, uh, this zeitgeist changing event, right? I think at the same right. time, you have to be able to navigate being able to stay, to have a Star Trek message, but also it be relevant and topical and addressing real world concerns. And I think it ended up being that way at the end of season three, the the, the story of season three was about redemption, about reconciliation at the very end. It wasn't just about retribution, about vengeance because of because of what happened at the very end. So as we wrap up our our discussion of of Hayes, does anyone have any final thoughts? I think everyone pretty much already covered it, um, but any other um, final thoughts in terms of of Hayes and the Makos?
4: I was going to say if if he would have survived, it would have been that would have been a cool uh, spinoff series, the Makos. Mm-hmm. You know, Hayes and the Makos. I don't know. That sounds like a band name, but yeah, it's uh, Hayes <laughs> and the Makos. Right, but. The Hayes right. you're here, That's good. you in say is in season four they could have made references to you know other missions that they were going on or something or they could have they could have brought him in when they had the basically the con babies you know or the, the, the those operations but yeah that was something if if Hayes could have survived maybe they would have given him a few more lines maybe a few more episodes I don't know
2: yeah definitely he he was one of those characters again that I, I just I feel like they could have Done a better job developing Amanda Cole, certainly another another Mako that I, I think could have been further developed. Those were really missed opportunities. Something that uh, Deep Space Nine did very well, uh, Enterprise not so much. But uh, I just want to say favorite Hayes moment is the uh, the fight in Harbinger. Uh, it kind of called back to uh, that scene in Officer and a Gentleman you know, the, the the big fight scene in an Officer and a Gentleman, it was really, uh, it, it was more than a fist fight. I know that sounds superficial. My favorite scene is a fist fight, but that fist fight was so much more than that. And I think it was the first step in in these two guys, again, that I think uh, didn't realize they were cut from the same cloth. I think it was the first step in, in realizing that they had more in common, that, that there were, uh, you know, more things they shared than things that they didn't.
1: I agree. I think that 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 tension, right? I think after that fight, I think they really started to reconcile and really understand where they're coming from. And I count me as also one of those people that I think Hayes should have survived. I think there are a lot of characters that should have survived. I think that just were killed for the sake of it, you know, for sake of the narrative going forward. Degra being another example of a character, mm-hmm. I think I think should have survived season three. In the same way that Hayes should have survived, or at least um Like you said, Mike, his successor, Cole, having a bigger role in season four, but they just, again, kind of become what Jeff said, glorified red shirts. They're always kind of there in the background, but they have no development in terms of anything beyond season three, really. I think that's, uh, again, a missed opportunity either because they didn't have the foresight to do it, but also they only had one more season and they had to cram a lot into season four. But, you know, Hayes really could have been one of those side characters that DS9 really excelled at this bench of of side characters you know you had rom you had nog you had ducat you had DeMar, you had garrick enterprise began to introduce these characters shran first and foremost being i think a side character that was going to be a main character if enterprise had survived they really had the potential to to really expand the universe um they just didn't get around to it i think the makos it, it's so tantalizingly frustrating because it's a very interesting and almost kind of it's, it's almost obvious, like, duh, why wouldn't there be a separate military? Because we're, we're not the Federation Starfleet yet. How do we get there? And I think that's the frustrating thing with Enterprise is we never quite get to getting there, right? There's so many tantalizing elements, Makos, Hayes, everyone, that um, at least they're there in terms of introduction and there as a concept in canon. But you only wish that you saw more of them. So, Will, are
2: you saying that we never quite got from here to there? <laughs>
1: you know, I was going to make that joke, Mike, but I'm glad you did it because that was just straight down the middle. Mike just knocked it straight out the park. That was an easy one. You know. That's exactly what I was trying to say. It's a long road. You said that, to that way up.
4: Here. <laughs> yep. Hayes and the Mako story is just like Enterprise. We wish we could have gotten more. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, I've heard the argument that it was easy to do that on deep, on deep Space Nine because it was a space station. I disagree with that argument because think about this. They're on a small ship, and that's a small ship, guys. That's a small ship out in deep space. It it is a it is a hotbed for great stories. Um, they they just missed those opportunities.
1: Yeah, I think um again not to 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 hammer home this point, but I think you know I think Enterprise is just missing that final piece of putting pulling all those pieces together, and they had it in season four, but only for a season where they're beginning to coalesce everything into an overarching narrative and where they want to go down the road. I think it just couldn't get, it didn't have enough runway at the end of the day. It just didn't have enough runway to to really take off, but it was, it was almost there. But I think that was a really great discussion on Hayes. I think most people would have just said, yeah, he's a character there for five episodes and you know, he had attention with, with Reed and that's about it. And he died. I think we had a really great conversation touching upon what Hayes represented ...and the concept of the Makos and what it brought to the overall Star Trek universe. But tonight's episode isn't just about the Makos. It's also about the other new arrivals to Warp 5, which is our associate producers, uh, Floyd and Mike. Um, you've just heard them talk about Major Hayes and the Makos. And a big part of what makes Warp 5 and Check FM possible... Is uh, our associate producers, our supporters through Patreon, because we're a completely um, listener funded network. We really need your help to kind of bring the programming each and every week um, to our listeners. And I want to take this opportunity for the rest of the show to kind of introduce Floyd and Mike, and kind of ask them how they became involved with Warp Five, how they became involved with Trek FM, and what about Star Trek has has made them such lifelong fans? To be able to to kind of come on and and talk with other people across the country, across the world about Star Trek. So, um, anyone want to jump in, Mike or Floyd, in terms of um, what brought you to to Warp Five and Trek FM?
4: Well, yeah, I can I can take that. Uh, I was actually uh, streaming an STO podcast, uh, and I. Uh, the the data was just taken up way too much on that, so I downloaded, bought a podcatcher, and I just searched Star Trek, and boom, I was just taken aback with the amount of content with this same logo on it, the Trek FM logo. It was so impressive. Um, I tried out warp five. I saw, I saw, well, wow, they've got an enterprise show. I mean, I saw all the other shows, but they've got an enterprise show. And I just finished my first initial watch, my first, all the way through initial watch off Netflix. And, uh, I, it was, uh, Chris is, uh, C. Brian Jones and Kate Walsh. And they were interviewing Brandon Braga in episode two. That was one of my tests. Also, I had, uh, I te- checked uh, literary treks and they had just talked to, uh, I can't recall the, the author's name, but it was one of the Enterprise novels. And man, I just, wow. It just blew my Star Trek fandom up. You know, it was, I shot the Warp 5. I uh, binge listened Standard Orbit. I hit the orb Earl Grey to The Journey. You know about the same time as when I discovered uh, Axonar and I became a a, a backer for axonar uh, I created a Facebook account at that time my first Facebook account so I could access the Axenar uh, fan page and the uh, donors page and then uh, Axenar gets a show on trek FM and that was also about the time that uh, Christopher Jones created the Babel conference so it just kind of all just exploded all for me all just about all at the same time.
1: So Trek FM was single-handedly responsible for dragging you into social media, fluid. Basically, Which could be a double-edged sword. (laughs) So I don't know if that's either a good or bad thing, but we can take credit for that fully.
4: So far, it's good. (laughs) Babel Conference is good. It's great. Uh, Mike, how did you uh, find the network?
2: Yeah, uh, I've been a lifelong Trek fan going all the way back to my childhood, um, early 1970s. I I was born in 70, and... So, you know, 73, 74, I'm watching TOS reruns, uh, animated series, playing with my mego characters uh, on the floor with my little bridge set. Just I've been a lifelong fan and 79 when the motion picture came out, I, I don't care what anybody says, that, that was a that was a masterpiece. <laughs> I got into Star Wars a little bit, but I always came back to uh, to Star Trek, and I think it was more than just the volume of content. Um, it's it's the stories, uh, the, the, the human stories that, that they tell so well. I've just been a lifelong fan. So as I was telling you guys on the other side of the room about a year and a half ago, I made the move from West Virginia where I had lived all but uh, four years of my entire life uh, there, I, I went to college in in Nashville, Tennessee. Went back to West Virginia, got married, started a family. I was given an opportunity to move to Dallas, Texas, uh, for my job, and so I, I lived for the first three months out of a out of a hotel, and so I did a lot of uh, Netflix binge watching, a lot of Netflix binge watching, but like many Star Trek fans. I was very hungry for new content and so I started discovering some of the fan series and I, I've got to say there, there are some great fan series out there so I'm doing some searching on the internet one night just looking for you know, I'm like a junkie you know more content more content more I started seeking out content and I, I'm, I'm searching around the Internet, and I find um, a podcast uh, called Continuing Mission. And, I, you know, I listened to uh, that particular podcast, which uh, at that time they were talking about uh, renegades. And, you know, listening to a description of renegades, uh, of course, it wasn't very long uh, about that time that, you know, they started talking about Axonar So I I started discovering Warp 5, The Orb, Earl Grey, and the list goes on and on and on. And I I, I so enjoyed listening to the point that um, Trek FM became very much a part of that new content. Even though we're talking about the old shows, it, it just it was new content and, you know, getting to know the hosts. I felt like I was part of a part of a community. I, I've got to be honest. I, I've listened to some of the other uh, podcasts, but I always come back to Trek FM for the quality of the content, uh, the the intelligent nature of the conversations. Even though uh, a lot of times um, we we cut up and and joke around on the network, uh, there, there's always um, there's always a return to good, solid, intelligent conversation. Uh, and I, I appreciate that some of the some of the other podcasts out there you know not so much it's it, it seems more like uh, you know a free-for-all of just joke telling sometimes almost demeaning to Star Trek which I think is uh, uh, counter you know counterintuitive but uh, getting a, getting a chance to add to my fandom by listening to Trek FM was just well it, it was great and So I I was uh, listening one day, heard um, Christopher talking about, you know, getting involved in the network. So I jumped in on Patreon first first of the year uh, this past year and, of course, got involved in the Babel Conference. And I've got to say, you know, Will, that uh, you all have really made Floyd and I feel like a part of the team. Uh, having the opportunity to talk about the content and and you've solicited our input, uh, we really appreciate that. You've made us truly feel like a part of this network, and again, just enlarging that fandom uh, even more. I've had a wonderful opportunity to meet great people. Jeff, I've always enjoyed listening to you anytime you're you're on the network. Uh, you're such a wealth of knowledge, man, and uh, you know just to, just to have a chance to meet with other fans and that camaraderie that we share being a part of the community. That's what it's all about. So I'm, I'm proud to be a supporter of Trek FM uh, proud to be a part of the network and uh, really have enjoyed getting to know all of you guys.
4: Yeah, I'll I'll add on what Mike just said there. I mean, I was a, I was a toss fan since I was just little, little, I've talked about that on the round table, how I got started and um, boy to, to finally get to nail enterprise down when, when, when I streaming Netflix, uh, it just seemed so close to what toss was about the, you know, going into the unknown even more than Kirk. And that was just, you know, enterprise just kind of, it just caught my, caught my attention. Uh, right after that, I, you know, I got, I finally watched deep space nine. I missed it. That was during my college years and I just missed it. And Boy, that just came right in there. Just it fits right in with Toss and uh, Enterprise for me. Um, but the uh, yeah, the just the actual like the treatment of the shows, as Mike has said, um, you know, actually intelligently speaking about them. That's this. That's what I love about Trek FM. Uh, I have tried a few of the other podcasts, and it's just I don't know. It just kind of gets too corny. You know, almost they are almost just making fun or or not talking about intelligently or just constantly making mistakes because I'm not really sure if they actually watch the shows or not that they're supposed they're talking about. I'm not, you know, they're just always referencing the wrong things. So that was something that uh, really drew me to uh, Trek FM. And then as far as like Warp 5 went, um, I just I that was the very first show I tried and I was just so impressed that there was an enterprise podcast, and not just an enterprise podcast, but an intelligent enterprise podcast. And the, uh, I just wanted to make sure Track FM continues. You know, that's one of the reasons when I saw the Patreon option, uh, there there was a donation option, and you could do it a little bit all along. But then when the Patreon came, I just man, Trek FM was, it was my commute. It was, you know, like I said, I binge watched the whole library in a matter of months. And I just felt like, man, I've, I've got to give back to that. I've got to support this. This is got, this is a great thing I want to see continuing on. And, uh, the opportunity to be an associate producer. I just, I just jumped at it. I thought this was just the greatest thing ever. I had been talking to, uh, to Norman, uh, about it for a little bit. And, I, you know, I told him when when my goal was and then boom, I pushed the button and I'm so happy to be a, to be a supporter of warp five and the entire Trek FM network.
2: Yeah. You know, I put some thought into it, uh, before I, before I became a a patron on Patreon and I got to thinking about all the things that I subscribe to, you know, Netflix, I, I pay a subscription every month for Netflix, for Hulu, you know, I had, uh, XM radio in my car to listen to and you know I pay these subscriptions I get a couple magazines I pay for those subscriptions and here is this incredible um database of of content out there uh, in the form of Trek FM Uh, I I haven't done the math I I don't know how many podcasts are are out there altogether, but it's growing every day we we know that Uh, great quality content that I can listen to uh, on my commute some days I I travel a lot for my job so some days my commutes not so much but uh, there are times when you know I spend eight hours on the road in a day so you know I I know I can uh, uh, you know plug my iPad in and you know it's the ready room it's it's Warp five it's its uh, uh, standard orbit so I've got this great content so why in the world even though Trek FM never asked me to subscribe to this content, I almost felt like because I was consuming this content the way I was, it was only right to get involved. It was only right, and honestly, I, I'll just be straight up. I, I canceled my XM radio subscription, and uh, that Take became that my, serious. <laughs> that became my Patreon money. Honestly, you know, I just I just took it from one thing and gave it to another because I was getting so much more uh, from Trek FM. And and again, that. Uh, that investment has, has really paid back to me time and time again just in the opportunities to get to be a part of the community, to get to be a part of the network, to, to be able to throw my two cents in and become a part of a, of a much larger community. Um, that, that's just been invaluable. The, the perks are incredible.
4: Yeah, I can tell you I haven't I haven't listened to the radio. I mean, I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and my commute, you know, it can be 30 minutes, it can be an hour or so it depends on how central expressway is going there. Mm-hmm uh but uh i haven't listened to the radio since april 2014 and i am extremely confident in that i know exactly when that was you know i i might even lock down the day are well, like <laughs> what's a radio
1: what is this right. bizarre 20th century technology you speak of i don't right. know what this is.
4: why why do i have to listen to uh anything except for star trek content you know without commercials and you know i gosh Man, those people in the rat race, they don't know what they're missing.
2: <laughs> FM? I don't listen to FM. I listen to Trek FM. There you go. There you go.
1: <laughs> I, I really appreciate um, your guys' enthusiasm because it, I, it's infectious. I think that's the, the thing that makes the Babel Conference and Trek FM. Babel Conference is our Facebook group. Um, so great is that. It started very small, but it grew very quickly. It really was like the collective, right? You you grow very, you grow a community. I haven't met any of you folks in, in person. You probably are all fake people until I meet you in real life. But I feel like I love the fact that I'm able to talk to you, you know, weekly, daily, online, and have a connection with people. But because of technology... You know, I feel like we—I have a relationship with so many people that I've actually never met physically, quote unquote, in real life, in the flesh, but still have these relationships, and that, I think that's what makes technology so great. And I—I I love the fact that you know, Floyd. I think Mike too. You mentioned the you know the enterprise podcast. I'm not sure if there is another enterprise podcast out there. Although I could be wrong, there might be another enterprise podcast out there. Um, but I think to, to my knowledge, I think Warp Five, from from my own, you know exploration of the internet and my own kind of digging around there. I don't think there's another solely enterprise devoted podcast. You know, of course there's going to be TOS podcasts. Of course you're going to be next generation podcasts and star Trek in general. And that taught that star Trek in general, that talks about enterprise from time to time. But to, to my knowledge, there still hasn't been a podcast devote devotes itself solely to this series and a network that devotes a show to each series and to fan films and to books and to a whole host of things. And I think mm-hmm. that's the, the important key. And um, we had mentioned on the other side of the room, actually, uh, a connection to Star Trek that I think is worth mentioning. Floyd, you mentioned that, that, you're, that you yourself are a science and math teacher, or, or uh, a teacher of future math and science teachers. Um, could you explain more about that link? Because I think that's a perfect connection to what Star Trek is about or should be about to people in their real lives.
4: Yes, I'm actually a, a clinical professor at the University of Texas at Dallas, and I'm a, considered a master teacher in the Teach Dallas program. Uh, and what we do is is we're in the Science and Math Educate or Math uh, School of Science and Math Education, and we have uh, we recruit math and science majors, biology majors, biochemistry majors, neuroscience majors, uh, pure math, statistics. We recruit highly qualified students right away to be math science teachers. And so they're going to end up with their highly qualified degree, but then they also are able to uh, graduate with a teaching degree or a teaching certificate. So um, I love seeing the, how talented my students are at math and science and nearly all of them are fans of some, Genre, you know, whether it's Star Trek or Doctor Who, there was a huge Doctor Who uh, discussion in the workroom outside my office uh, a couple of weeks ago. And um, I just I love being able to know that I'm teaching future math science teachers. And uh, I know that I went into math like I have a math degree myself. And I I know that that's one of the reasons that I uh, pursued that was because of Mr. Mr. Spock. I know, I know that that was an influence on me right away. And, uh, you know, to be an astronaut wouldn't be enough. You, you, I I don't just need to be in space. I need to be in space, you know, standing next to captain Kirk, you know, or Jonathan Archer here. But, uh, I, I really, really enjoy teaching future math science teachers because I know that's going to make an impact on society. I know every day when I drive home, I've made an impact and on all, all teachers can have that feeling, uh, you know, on the way to work, what can I, what impact can I make today? And then on the way home, what impact did I make today? Cause you no, know, there's not very many professions that can actually say that they can do something like that every day, you know, doctors and teachers, as far as I know.
1: You're teaching the, the, the world's future blue shirts Floyd, Yes, the universe's yes. future blue shirts. And that is, yes. Uh, an admirable admirable goal and it's a very Star Trek goal and I, and I think you know of course Spock himself would be very very pleased with that with that statement and I think I think that's the interesting thing about how all of this has evolved because my own path to Trek FM and, and Warp 5 in particular is very much like um, the story of Jeff Mike Floyd and, and so many other people out there is that we just discovered this network and the community that was already there and we just uh, relied on the technologies to leverage us to actually be a community where we interact with each other. And then from there, we were able to to, to branch out and expand our fandom. And like you mentioned before, uh, it really is a content generator and it's an incubator of, of your fandom. And I certainly... Can feel that myself. I've I've always been a Star Trek fan, but I feel like ever since Trek FM, which I've only really started listening to last summer, it's barely been a year, which is crazy. And now, you know, I'm a host on one of the on one of the shows on the network. It's such an incubator for your fandom. I I've always thought I was a Star Trek fan, but only until I started listening to Trek FM did I realize like, wow, I'm really a Star Trek fan now because I'm talking Star Trek all the time now. It's it's exponentially greater, and I think. A lot of fans, there's definitely demand out there because there isn't a TV series out there right now. There is a movie that's coming out next year, but it's weird. There's there's kind of this weird interregnum. There's a movie coming out, but there's not a lot of enthusiasm for it. It's kind of under the radar. The 50th is next year, but it's also kind of under the radar in a lot of ways. I think fans are really hungry for that new content. And because we have content each and every week, it really is in a way, making up for the space where there isn't a TV series. We're going back and discovering new angles, bringing in new fans with new perspectives, and it's really just adding to that. And for me, I'm just amazed when I think about how how quickly things have grown, how far we've gone in so, in little, in so little time, just like humanity in the 22nd century, right? So I think that's, that's always a good parallel. So any other final thoughts, Jeff, Mike, Floyd, about... Um, tonight's topics about Trek FM or about uh, Major Hayes before we close up?
4: I just thought it, I just think it's great just talking about Star Trek. Like I didn't have an outlet to start talk about Star Trek basically my whole life. My grandparents were fans. Uh, my parents knew of it, but it was just no nothing to talk about. Uh, like my friends, we didn't really talk about it. You know, it was more sports and things like that. I didn't really have anyone to talk to about star Trek. And then like I said, when I, I saw Trek FM and here's people actually talking intelligently about star Trek. And then the Babel conference is just amazing. I mean, uh, the conversations that we have on there are just great. I mean, they can, they can, you know, it can be fun, but it can also be, you know, serious and enlightening. I mean, you're seeing some of the stuff if you've been seeing for decades from a completely fresh angle. And I really applaud everyone on the Babel conference, uh, You know, whether you're a regular supporter or you're just on there occasionally, uh, I encourage even if you just read the posts, just jump in there, man. That's what I did. I mean, I I didn't again, I didn't even have a Facebook page. And then I think one of the very first posts I ever made on Facebook was to the Enterprise Warp 5 show. And next thing you know, I'm talking to Christopher Jones about Enterprise. And it was great. It was just it just. It just completely opened up a whole new world for me.
2: Yeah, I'm a huge boomer, and and that's why, you know, when I when I made the choice, I chose uh, to to put my support directly behind Warp Five. It's nice to be able to talk about Starship design, um, secondary haul or no secondary haul on the NXO One, <laughs> and not have somebody look at me like I'm an Enar. You know, it's it's nice. To, to be able to have those conversations. I, I'll plug the uh, Babel Conference as well. I have to say that uh, I've, I've almost never seen a conversation on the Babel Conference uh, turn disrespectful. I, I really think that if, if anybody's missing out on the Babel Conference and you're listening to this podcast, jump on there on Facebook on the Babel Conference and... Get get involved in one of the conversations on in one of the threads. It's it's a very respectful conversation. We we all respect one another. It really is one of the first I think real bold steps in making Gene Roddenberry's um, vision of the future a reality. It's a bold step, and we we have a great time talking about not just Star Trek. We we talk about other fandoms. We were talking. Uh, will's current uh, fascination with the green lantern uh, we we've had uh, star wars conversations on there uh, we've had uh, a lot of star wars conversations lot, lately yeah. i must say a lot of- <laughs> i feel
1: <laughs> I like say- it's almost like whoa the galaxies are merging <laughs> yeah <World's laughs> the breaks, are colliding. pump the brakes
3: pump well, the brakes we're getting a lot more uh, uh, stuff coming out about the upcoming star wars movie than we are about the upcoming. Yeah. upcoming don't star get me Trek started movie. jeff so don't get it's me started natural. <laughs> I think they're just waiting until after yeah. that movie comes out so maybe in January when the 50th anniversary actually maybe starts.
1: let's see we'll see that's a yeah. whole other conversation it really is um so I had a really great conversation tonight with you gentlemen um but major Hayes and the associate producers of war 5 aren't the only things we're talking on trek FM this week
0: previously on trek.fm standard orbit. <laughs>
2: not interspace
0: interphase interspace is the that's the one where they shrink down and they like go and like fight viruses first movie i ever saw Letterboxd. Huh. i was like why are there black bars in the top and bottom of the screen this movie's garbage earl
4: gray
2: daddy do pets have a nexus 2 <laughs> the pexus kirk
4: had a uh, dog in the nexus 2 didn't he oh uh, butler butler.
2: <laughs> butler is now shadow <laughs> So we have The Adventures Homeward Bound of Butler, Porthos, and Spot. Will they make it back to their owners in Montana? The Orb.
0: Well, apparently, and did you find this interesting, Matthew? Apparently, the Navark reports directly to the Prophets.
3: Which is awkward because they don't
0: always show up for meetings, so... Right. Plus, you never know what time the meeting is really going to be, right? That is true. It could have been yesterday and you might have missed it. The Ready Room. Do you think this episode would have been so popular and remain a fan favorite if the Enterprise had been overrun with zebra mussels? <laughs> <laughs> to the journey! It's fake intimacy. Thank you. It is them trying to say, Jakote knows Janeway so well that just by fiddling her com badge, he knows the crap's going to hit the fan. <laughs> Commentary, Trek Stars.
4: Weird is relative when you're talking about a book about a guy who taxidermies his mother, so...
1: The 602 Club. I think you've uh, hit something here, and I've never thought of it this way, but the true savior of the galaxy. It's not Obi-Wan. It's not Luke Skywalker. It's Aunt Beru. Literary Treks.
2: Reagan's a great guy to bring up because his dad was this raging drunk, Mm. and, uh, you know, he had to sort of drag him off the porch at night. He'd come home like falling down drunk and you know you think of and here he was this kind of great man for the country at the time uh, but he came from a place that was really kind of dark but
3: also very relatable. Women at Warp.
1: There's always a touchstone and this was as close to a touchstone as they ever got with Pulaski.
2: Plus she banged Riker's dad. <laughs>
1: oh andy i'm sorry i just think it's so funny
0: and that's what else is happening on trek.fm
1: you can always check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond you can find us wherever you get your podcasts if you're an apple user be sure to hit the subscribe button that helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search itunes And if you like what you hear on Warp 5 or any of the Trek FM network shows, please leave us a five-star rating and a review, which will help us greatly increase our visibility for new listeners. And if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way you can help Keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. Uh, Mike and Floyd talked a lot about it tonight because they're patrons. I'm a patron. Jeff's a patron. It's a great way to support the network and to keep it coming to you each and every week because we're listener supported. So if you visit patreoncom FM, that's patreo ncom FM, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contributions along with all other other great perks we have for you there. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits like Floyd Mike Half Warp 5, seats on our content development team, and more. And a new perk that we've only introduced the past few months, which I think has really uh, taken off, is the patron roundtable. So if you contribute to $25 a month or more, you are eligible to join in on a monthly roundtable with other TrekFM FM hosts and other patrons to talk all things Trek, both in universe and out of universe, just a great casual get together to enjoy our geekdom. Jeff, Mike, and Floyd have all been on the round table. We've all had great discussions. I look forward to I look forward to it each and every month. I think um, its popularity uh, has surprised me and a lot of other people, but it's been a very very pleasant surprise, and I think it's just a great way for you to engage your fandom even further. So check us out if you can, and of course, I can. I Always thank our associate producers of Warp 5, Floyd and Mike. Uh, Thank you for coming on tonight for the very first time. Thank you for your support through the network and for Patreon. You can find us on the Babel Conference, which was mentioned several times today, which is the dedicated Facebook group for Trek FM. If you type in Babel Conference in the Facebook search field, you'll find the Babel Conference. It is a closed group just for our listeners, but if you send a request in, we'll let you in and as we mentioned before tonight, it's a really great venue for for all things Trek, but also all things geek as well. And it's just a really great place for intelligent, respectful conversation. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on Trek.FM slash contact. You can go to speakpike.com slash FM. You can also contact us through Twitter at at Trek.FM, Facebook.com slash FM, And of course, our uh, Facebook group, The Babel Conference. So, Jeff, if they want to get in touch with you... What's the best way they can get in touch with you on the internet?
3: Well, like we were talking about earlier, uh, I have my trekopedia.com website. Uh, I'm uh, currently uh, uh, deep into uh, creating the Grand Unified Theory of Trek on the uh, the website, just trying to get as much uh, into a uh, encyclopedia as I can. I'm also uh, online on Facebook, uh Finally, find me pretty much every day on uh, the Babel Conference, as we've uh, mentioned, and also on uh, the Axinar fan group. Um, I post there pretty uh, pretty regularly. Uh, I also uh, have my comic books that we've talked about in the past. Uh, that's uh, bandwidthcomics.com. It's also on Facebook as well. Um, just search for bandwidth comics.
4: And Floyd? Yeah, you'll uh, find me on the Babel Conference. Uh, I'm if I haven't posted there daily then I'm reading I'm reading there daily and it's very entertaining like lately the work's been pretty hectic but uh, I'm also you can find me in the Axanar fan group and if you're a donor I'm in the donor group and I'm a proud supporter of Trek FM and Axanar and actually uh Mike had mentioned earlier uh other fan projects Uh, I did uh, something similar and I'm just finding some great fan projects to support all all around so um very, very proud to be a Star Trek fan right
2: now. And Mike? I'm I'm excited about Pacific 201. Just throw that in there.
1: I was just going to say the same thing. Pacific 201 <laughs> and Horizon, very excited.
2: <laughs> yeah, indeed. Indeed. Tommy's doing a great job. I've really enjoyed his updates. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, certainly, and the Babel Conference. I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at
1: CMichael1701. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Floyd, again for joining us tonight. You can always find me at at will underscore win, it's spelled N-G-U-Y-E-N on Twitter. You can also find me on Facebook, also in the Babel Conference uh, usually every day, posting there as well. And of course, I'm a proud supporter of the network through Patreon. I'm also a supporter of XNAR in the XNAR fan group and the donors group. Also a big supporter of Pacific 201 and Horizon. I think those are just two fantastic fan films. And I think you can just find me anywhere where Star Trek is being talked about. So please, if you want to find out more about what Trek is talking about in the future, I'm also the content manager for the network. So if there are ideas that you want to talk about in terms of ideas or themes that we haven't touched on before, please drop me a line at Twitter, on Facebook and the Babel conference I'm more than happy to to chat with you. So thanks for listening everyone. And join us again next time here in the conference room for another episode of warp five.